It's great to have a lot of rules and a lot of policy, but if those aren't being enforced, utilized, or used correctly, um, it doesn't do any good, right? So, you know, if you've got 40 security guards and you're not necessarily employing them in the, in the best way possible or under the requirements that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has set, uh, then, then that can lead to some issue, right? Hey everyone, uh, Mike Witt here, uh, and alongside me I've got Mr. Uh, Pete Peterson for our episode 9 of Complacency Kills, um, and today we're going to be talking about defending the target set. So, uh, wanted to kind of kick off this show um, to bring in Pete, he's new to the crew, so kind of want to kick off Pete, uh, tell us a bit about your background, uh, where you've been, how you got here, and, uh, and kind of what you do that applies to what we're talking to about today. Uh, awesome. Well, hey, it's great to be here. I'm glad I joined the contact team. It's been uh, awesome so far, but uh, I started out similar to you, uh, United States Marine. Um, and then from there, I, I got some awesome opportunities coming out of the infantry to get into uh, the Marine Raider regiments, which were the Special Operations Battalions when we first started and, uh, you know, became a Marine Raider. And I spent the last 14 years before my retirement, uh, August of 2020, uh, doing that uh, mission set. So, uh, you know, got to do a lot of uh, interesting things, a lot of fun things, a lot of adventurous things. Uh, but one of the highlights and what brought me kind of to contact was the last five years I spent at Special Operations Command working for a, a very mission-specific team that dealt a lot with uh, nuclear security, you mm -hmm. know, threat target mitigation, validation, target analysis, and, and things of that nature. And so I got a lot of exposure to the nuclear security industry, uh, you know, physical security in general, uh, learned a lot, and, and then taking that alongside of my breaching skills, which while I was at MARSOC and, and, and as a Marine Raider, I was able to... Uh, become a master breacher, uh, you know, through my experience there and training and certification. And so I've brought that here, you know, obviously you guys do a lot of blast and ballistic stuff and it seemed yep. like a, like a good fit. And, uh, I saw you guys out in the industry, a lot of the, the product range that you guys have, I was working, you know, from the adversary side of it, you know, trying to attack it, get into it, uh, or, or otherwise, you know, defeat it. Um, and you guys um, on the opposite side of that, we're trying to, uh, to mitigate that. So, uh, it seemed like a good fit and, and, and here we are. Yeah. So no doubt. Yeah. So, so you, you kind of hit on a, uh, a, a point that kind of leads us or segues into the conversation. So uh, can you tell me a bit more about your time, um, uh, on the jet team and what their mission set and purpose is? Yeah. So, uh, many, many years ago, uh, you know, as like in, in a lot of militaries, there, there, there was a, a threat, you know, uh, that had been assessed by the intelligence community. Uh, and like all things, you know, we try to mitigate those threats and to be able to do that, uh, we develop, you know, a variety of different solutions through either, you know, everything from physical security, body armor, you know, weapon systems, whatever it is. So it was identified that we needed to kind of ensure that if we had any vulnerabilities or critical vulnerabilities, there was a capability inside of the military uh, to uh, essentially, you know, test some of that stuff and mm -hmm. validate it. So it was our job, you know, um, to, to kind of ensure uh, working alongside of a variety of other agencies uh, to support, um, you know, threat mitigation through target analysis. So we just assist uh, different folks, different agencies, and different organizations uh, that are directed, you know, by uh, the Department of Defense and the United mm -hmm. States Special Operations Command um, in support of those, those endeavors. Right. And so, you know, without discussing anything, you know, that, that you know, we can't talk about, right. uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the reality is everybody knows there's a threat out there. The intelligence community assesses those threats. And then there's certain organizations within the military, the intelligence community and defense that are responsible for figuring out, you know, what to do about it. Yeah. And so we were one of the solutions, uh, the joint number immune team to, to kind of 
figure some of those things out. And we just assist and advise, uh, you know, in, in that capacity. Okay. And how many years did you do that for? I was on team for about five years. Okay. So very nice. Yeah. All right. So yeah, you've been around the block, uh, when it comes to, uh, testing these sites and, and testing equipment that goes into them to make sure they, they do what they say they're going to do. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. absolutely. And a lot of this stuff happens. You guys do a lot of your own testing. A lot of the companies that put mm -hmm. physical security features in, um, it's nice to have uh, validation through other means and, and, and maybe utilizing tactics, techniques, and procedures that are more reflective of the actual adversary threat. You know, we understand that this particular enclosure is blast resistant, right? Uh, but if we attack it a certain way, you know, under certain circumstances, does it create a vulnerability, you know? Right. And then we use that information to ensure that uh, if there is any gaps in, in security, we're able to cover down on them with some type of mitigator, mitigation, or process policy. You mm -hmm. know, we either defeat it with, you know, better physical uh, infrastructure, you know, and security. Uh, uh, you know, by putting a person there or creating shielding or, or fencing or denying the ability uh, for someone to have access to it. Uh, or simply put, we just change a tactic, technique, or procedure, which allows that ability to now be negated. So for sure. I, think, uh, I think we've done a pretty good job with that. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So um, talking about power reactor sites, and we say that, you know, nuclear power reactor sites um, that, uh, that are there for the main and sole purpose of generating electricity for, for the grid, right? Um, what, what are the main threats, uh, that they are, uh, facing, right? Um, and what's that community's priority on keeping, uh, the plant safe and how do they do that? Um, so <clears throat> I think with nuclear security, there's always a threat, you know, nuclear has always been under a significant amount of stress, uh, security wise and production of energy wise, because, you know, if something goes wrong, uh, operationally, you know, you have the, the radiological release, right. And I, I think, you know, a lot of the issue, uh, public opinion, whether it's, you know, a, a small amount or, or significant like Chernobyl or three mile Island where they've mm -hmm. had significant radiological issue and release. Uh, you know, that's, that's the fear. So to protect the physical security aspects of that, not, you know, not talking about the operational stuff, right. uh, there's a whole nother side, you know, essentially. So you've got the operations, Hey, we want to make sure the operate, the reactor operates safely. They've been able to take care of that. And over the years, I think they've done a really good job of improving that piece of it. With that comes obviously the potential threat for uh, nefarious, you know, actors that, you know, want to impact the United States negatively. Uh, to come in and, and potentially do harm or damage or, you know, just as a political statement, you know, uh, how, how would it look if, if fencing was, you know, breached at a nuclear facility? The American public would not appreciate that, right? They, right. They, there'd be a significant amount of issue with that uh, happening. So I think um, that, you know, to answer your question, the nuclear industry is very aware of not only how it looks and how polarizing it could be, and, and you know, nuclear's, you know, had significant hurdles it's had to overcome, you know, in comparison to fossil fuels and, and some oh, of the solar yeah. and wind, you know, and, and so that's a whole nother, you know, political spectrum yeah. and another podcast. Yeah. But, you know, the, the reality being is they understand how important it is to maintain that security. And post 9-11, you know, with the threat level having been raised, you know, by our adversaries, unfortunately, uh, there's been a lot of physical security infrastructure, both funding, training, uh, and capability employed across the fleet of nuclear energy providers in the United States. And so uh, just looking at it from when this program started uh, to where it's at now, you know, it is significantly harder uh, a target, you know, as a target uh, for someone to, 
you know, either criminally or adversarially, you know, someone who actually wants to go in and do something, right. uh, you know, very nefarious uh, or, or what the intelligence community would deem, you know, a significant threat. You know, it's very hard for people to do any of those, those types of things, you know. The United States has a lot of nets, a lot of security nets. Mm -hmm. We've got the FBI, we've got uh, the CIA, we've got all these organizations that work very hard to make sure if there is somebody out there or a group out there that has, you know, an ideology that, that may align with doing harm to, to our, our grid, uh, nuclear energy specifically, you know, there's significant amount of energy and effort put into making sure that information gets passed and we're protecting against those threats. Right. So uh, in the five years I was on the team, I saw significant uh, uh, infrastructure upgrades, similar to context stuff. You know, they've put in a lot more BREs, these elevated blast and ballistic rated systems that are able to project combat power, you know, against whether it's a criminal threat or, you know, uh, an adversarial threat. You know, it makes a big difference. You know, right. you don't want these places, you know, a lot of corporations, they don't want to look like a prison. But the reality is you've got to protect, you know, critical assets. Uh, not only is it providing energy for a large local population, but, you know, uh, you don't want a radiological release and you don't want any type of nuclear material, you know, coming off site and, and you know, bad people doing bad things with it. For so sure. Oh, I yeah. think they've done a great job of defending against that. Historically speaking. We have not had, you know, any security breach uh, in the history of the nuclear industry that's resulted in, in you know, a negative effect like that. Right. So um, outside of, you know, some small instances with employees being upset and, and doing some things, nothing significant uh, yeah. of, of, of a reportable nature. So it's just a testament to the program, to the community, to the physical security and nuclear. They're making the effort, and it's obviously showing. So, so um, for those that don't know... Um uh, can you give some guidance on what the NRC is and what they do and kind of how how they play a part in all of this and kind of uh, putting everything in a nice package and putting a bow on it saying, you know, hey, we feel that, you know, we've implemented the correct you know processes and yeah. procedures for security? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, these are all great questions. You know, the reality is... Uh, <clears throat> the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is a regulatory body. And so as a regulatory body, they are there to make sure that whoever is operating under the licenses that they give, under the regulatory rules and compliance, is in essentially compliance with right. that stuff. So uh, they have, uh, you know, an organization inside of the NRC that's specific to fiscal security, and their job is to essentially, you know, ensure that the, that new information is passed on, uh, new policy is being adhered to, uh, that programs that support fiscal security infrastructure are, are in place, and that they're being met, you know. It's great to have a lot of rules and a lot of policy, but if those aren't being enforced, utilized, or used correctly, um, it doesn't do any good, right? So, you know, if you've got 40 security guards and you're not necessarily employing them in the, in the best way possible or under the requirements that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has set, uh, then, then that can lead to some issue, right? Because the, uh, the NRC gets a lot of their guidance and develops a lot of their guidance as a regulatory body from uh, the intelligent folks that they have working there. A lot of guys and gals put a lot of effort and energy into assessing, you know, what the real threats are, both from the intelligence community and as a regulatory and compliance body, to make sure that, uh, you know, nuclear sites in general are safe and that the physical security features that uh, are being used and the physical security guards tactic techniques and procedures are up to date and relative to the adversary or criminal threat that we're faced with today. I want to caveat here and take a, a second. You know, nuclear security guards, it's not all about guns and, and ballistic enclosures and blast resistance. Yep. You know, the reality is 
they are also a very well-trained force that, you know, observes and understands that, you know, there may be protesters out there, you know, they're not going to engage uh, someone that's, that's conducting criminal activity. You know, you have to meet the same criteria for, for deadly force or, you know, offensive action that you would need to meet in any situation like that with federal law enforcement sure. and law enforcement. Guidance is obviously different, varies from state to state. You know, there's different companies, different uh, local laws as well as federal laws. All of those things in combination, nuclear regulatory commissions make sure they're abiding by all of that and really does a great job as far as oversight's concerned and ensuring that these companies have the resources, tools, and information they need to make good decisions related yeah, to physical yeah, security. No doubt. So so kind of going on that, uh, on that note is um, obviously, yeah, we have power reactor sites across the country that feed our grid, um, but there's also um, uh, nuclear-based sites uh, that are not necessarily dedicated to power generation, but mm. they are for either research, they are for uh, weapons, munitions, or mm. producing component, nu- you know, nuclear components that go into you know various products right yeah. across uh, across the country. Um, so, what uh, what what threat uh, matrix difference do you see between you know what a power reactor site would be concerned with versus mm. what let's say Department of Energy or a national lab site would be uh, more concerned with? So to answer that question, really, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it boils down to, you know, what type of material do they have on site? And, and with that material, nuclear material or special nuclear material, what can you do with that material? Right. And then you go into what level of sophistication is required by whoever would want to do that would need to do something with it. So I think the United States government, both the DOE and in the nuclear industry, do a great job of managing material in a way that it's the least uh, available uh, the least capable and in, in forms that aren't uh, usable or user-friendly to a potential criminal or adversary, you know, uh, right. that may want to do harm uh, to the United States um, or, or make a political statement, you know, whatever, whatever their agenda is. So the, the reality is the physical security that they currently have uh, is, is, again, assessed you know, by the intelligence communities, by other government agencies, and it is relative to that threat. So if there's a facility that has material that may be of more value or could do more harm, you're going to see a different security, uh, you know, um, apparatus there. Right. Uh, but still under very similar policy. You know, the NRC has what they're responsible for. Department of Energy has what they're responsible for. And then there's organizations inside of each of those uh, government agencies that allows them to, you know, conduct very specific pieces of the physical security oversight to make sure that we have the correct physical security infrastructure related to, you know, the correct uh, type of material. So it's it's like this: the higher the consequence, you know, the the more uh, physical security infrastructure you're going to see, the more training, uh, the more developed the defensive protective strategy is going to be. Everything is safe. Like I said, I've, I've been around and, and touched, felt, looked at, and been in a variety of facilities between what the Department of Defense provides security for, as well as the Department of Energy and their security staff, along with the nuclear security industry. It's a very professional force, you know, all three of them. Uh, they do a very good job protecting the assets and, and what is strategic to U.S. interests. And, you know, um, if, if uh, fellows like me are looking at it and, and saying that's a hard target, and guys, you know, my peer group are looking at it saying it's a hard target, it's pretty significant, you know. Yeah. We, 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 you know, we come with a lot of experience, and and that's a good thing. You know, we want when we observe uh, a potential target, you know, from a, a criminal or adversary perspective, we want it to be a hard target. That's a win for the United States. You know, at the end of the day, that's the team I'm on. You know, that's the team <laughs> right. you're on. Right. We're here to boost physical security infrastructure. You know, uh, for sites, both nuclear, DOE, and, and DoD, and I think context supports that very well. And I think uh, the industry itself, physical security industry, does a good job of providing a lot of tools that that both
both uh, phys are physically robust and allow for a lot of protection. Because you know, this, you know, this is my saying since I got the contact, and I've said it before I got here. But you know, security forces trained to protect it are security forces enabled. And yeah. so I think the DOE and the NRC, uh, along with the Department of Defense, do a great job of of doing that. There's always stuff you can do better, man. You know, there's lots of things that we would like to invest more money in. Sure. Uh, you know, to make things either more training available or more resource available. But, uh, you know, rest assured that, you know, the United States assets, both in the power grid, in the DOD, and, and, and weapon systems are very well protected yeah. uh, by very well-trained individuals using very high-end security, uh, you know. And so the high consequence that that facility may have is mitigated in the fact that it's protected so well. Right. No, I, that, that was a that was a spot on answer, man. We need to get you in politics. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got enough. I got enough problems just being me. You know, right, being yeah, politics, yeah. you got to be somebody else. You know. So yeah, man. Now, um, so so uh, to kind of wrap up this conversation, uh, where I would like to finish off with is the what you see in the future uh, as, as the main uh, threat that uh, is going to evolve over the next 5, 10, 15 years for Power Reactor, DOE, all those sites. Yeah. Um, I think I know we're going to go with this, but I'd be curious to hear what your opinion is on what you think the next threat set is going to be. So, you know, unfortunately, the world is full of bad people. And, yeah. uh, you know, we've got some great agencies in U.S. Gov and, and you know, uh, countries that we work for, you know, the Aussies, you know, the Brits, the Canadians, and we all kind of have a collaborative effort, uh, most westernized countries, to make sure that bad guys don't get their hands on the type of material that they can do bad things with. And, and you know, uh, I say that uh, because, I, you know, I think the reality is there's always going to be someone or some organization out there that wants to do harm, you know, to the United States, to our way of life, and to what we have here. So I think the biggest threat really, unfortunately, is, you know, you, 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 we've seen, you know, this terrorist threat escalate over the last several years, but the desire uh, to maybe go further than, you know, unfortunately flying airplanes or aircraft mm -hmm. into buildings, you know, what's a logical next step, you know, is it a real threat? I've been out of the military now for a year, you know, I can't speak to, to what the, the real-time intelligence threat is at the moment. I can speak from personal experience uh, and the way that the world is currently. Terrorist organizations, you know, for them to be able to have the ability to, you know, detonate you know, some type of improvised device uh, in a nuclear capacity or some type of radiological device uh, that could disperse material, there will always be a desire for them to get their hands on that type of material. So I don't think the threat is necessarily going to increase. I think the, uh, you know, the, the same type of people with the same type of resources are always going to be trying to get their hands on, on, on bad things and bad material. Uh, you know, I think the ability for information to be proliferated right. online yep. uh, is significant. Yep. And the fact that they may be able to get information that they wouldn't have normally had 20 years ago or 30 years ago to be able to pay, potentially process, learn about a site. I mean, Google Earth, uh, all these mm -hmm. different uh, tools that are available uh, just on your phone, you know, yeah. uh, makes, you know, the average citizen or, or, or uh, you know, regular person that may want to do bad things or malign themselves or align themselves with, you know, a negative organization and do bad things. It, it's just, it's unfortunately easier. Yeah. And so I think the ability for information is one of the biggest threats, how that information is used and, and specifically what targets they pick to use it against remains to be seen. I think having a program, the programs that we have uh, that boosts physical security, maintains it, sustains it, and kind of regulates it and makes sure it's in compliance are things that we need to keep doing so that we don't have a breach. Right. You know, like I said, the last however many years, I mean, we've been using nuclear power, you know, post-World War II, uh, we got some reactors online, we had a, a huge push in the 70s and 80s for construction, you know, with the current uh, climate, uh, you know, political atmosphere, you know, nuclear may, may start moving forward again here in the future, hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and if it does, 
you know, great. Um, and they're going to require security for that. So, yeah. you know, I didn't mention it, but I think it's on everybody's mind. I've seen it, the DOE, the NRC, uh, and a lot of government agencies, policy uh, and legislation coming up uh, to UAS. So I didn't really speak to it when I talked about proliferated information. You know, I mentioned Google Earth and the imagery that's mm -hmm. available. Yeah. You know, UAS is a huge part of that. You know, they've got platforms now that have the ability to deliver payload and, you know, nefarious and malicious actors out in the world wanting to use that, you know, in conjunction. So I would say it's a, it's a twofold threat. You know, I would say UAS is definitely on the horizon for everybody. It's emergent. Uh, we've seen it, unfortunately, operationalized. It's been used against facilities oh, sure. by yeah. proxy and surrogate forces against other interests for first world countries. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen it in Syria. You know, we've had it used against U.S. forces in, in, in limited capacity. The reality is it's out there. It doesn't yeah. take a whole lot of ability uh, or capability to do it. It's low cost. It's efficient. And it, and it can be done. And we've seen it done. So I think uh, proliferation of information and, and the enemy or adversary or, or, or criminal threat uh, or criminal actors out there that are doing bad things or want to do bad things, them having access to that information over the internet and then being able to figure out how to use it and or in some you know way to, to bring something onto site or take something off of site or yeah. just attack a site, whether it's nuclear, category one facility, special nuclear material, processing, weapons, Department of Energy, whatever the agency or organization is, the threat remains you know similar. And so sure. uh, I wanted to make sure that we address the UAS threat as, as one of the big ones too. Like I said, I didn't mention it before, but I definitely think it's something that's uh, critical and important to uh, oh, yeah. to talk about. And that's one of the things, you know, that we're working here uh, at, uh, at Contact, right? Mm -hmm. For dealing with that exact threat, right? And being able to protect crit critical assets mm -hmm. throughout the security or organization because, you know, covering multi-acre sites with drone detection is a difficult task to do. Absolutely. Right? No, not yeah. detection, but also, you know, mitigation and mitigation, yeah, yeah. right? Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, working with the industry to figure out the best solution um, mm -hmm. to do that, that, uh, that makes sense for the security force, uh, that makes sense for uh, everyone up through procurement and everyone mm -hmm. in between, right? Yeah, fiscally so, responsible as well. Yeah. You gotta be a good, good steward of taxpayer dollars That's, when you talk no about doubt. these government organizations. I think Contact does a good job of getting the price points in a manageable place where they're getting the protection and physical security, excuse me, physical security infrastructure upgrades that they require, as well as the training, yeah, you know, yeah. tactics, techniques, procedures that all lead to, you know, defensive protection a strategy that, that's valid and capable of response to threat. So uh, hopefully that kind of answers your question. You know, I don't know if I hit the nail on the head with that one, but I tried to get as close as I could. No, like I perfect. said, I think yeah. information is one of the biggest threats. How it's used, uh, like I For said, sure. remains to be seen. Oh, without a doubt. Without so. a doubt. So, no, that sounds great. Um, again, uh, just another quick episode here on uh, episode nine of Complacency Kills. But anyways, uh, if you guys have any questions or anything like that, please reach out to us uh, on our website or you can hit us up via email at info at contactindustries.com. Um, and yeah, every month we'll be sitting down and uh, hopefully getting a subject matter expert uh, brought in to, to you know, discuss a new topic that, uh, that hopefully helps you guys out in your day-to-day -day jobs. So I'm out. Appreciate the time.